Hey, welcome to How to Write a Novel. So I got a bad habit of uh, claiming that it's going to be a short episode and then it's not a short episode. But I'm going to claim it again because I think this one actually will be a short episode. I've just got a little something in mind. So let's talk about it. So, uh, you know, I give uh, anime kind of a hard time on this show, particularly that episode I did about Evangelion and how uh, I do not like the, uh, just the openly expository dialogue in anime where characters just blah 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 just explain everything that's happening and I realized last episode when I was talking about manga a bit I think one of the big problems is is that the adaptation between manga and anime it's way too direct like when they take a comic and adapt it into a cartoon they really do just take here's the fucking comic and let's just make it into a cartoon but all that stuff works in a comic. Like, it's okay to just have a bunch of dialogue happening because the great thing about comics is that multiple things can happen at the same time in a comic. It's like the only medium where that can really happen. In a novel or in a movie or TV show, things need to be laid out in a linear fashion. Like, if you've got six people all saying something, you know, they gotta say it one after the other, in a book and in a tv show they got to say it one after another just so it's legible if it all happens at the same time it's just a cacophonous sound and it'd be all fucked up whereas in a comic you can have a room full of people a whole fucking panel full of dialogue and it's great it's just like moments hanging in the air like mist in the air you read it you absorb all the information and then you, you know, you develop the scene and you develop the moment in your own brain in this great way that you can only do with comics. Or like I was talking about how much I love Initial D, that racing manga. And it's a great example because there's a lot of times in Initial D where it's like a couple of cars flying around a corner. It literally takes three-fourths of a second. But meanwhile, the onlookers are describing what's happening. Like, ah, oh, the weather conditions are this, and this guy altered his car to do that. And in a comic, that's fine, because these moments are all just happening together. It's a nice little frozen moment. A little tableau that you can examine. Whereas when things are moving along, you know, in a show, time is taken out of your hands. The time is just the time that the show has allotted. And in a novel, you can't pile things on top of each other in a way that's easily digestible. It just doesn't work. See, I think that's the main reason why I like Japanese comics a lot more than I like Japanese anime. But, but yeah, I'm a little hard on anime because there is a lot to like about it. I mean, I used to love it. I used to love anime. Because like I said last episode, it was this whole different set of cultural assumptions. They just approach things and view things in a way that we don't. And there's a lot to gain from that. So what I want to talk about this episode is just how neat it can be to go outside of your, your own culture and outside of the conventions of your culture's storytelling and of your culture's cliches and when you examine another culture, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's weird and doesn't work for you or that it's hard to relate to. But there's stuff that is great, that is just like, wow, it's so refreshing and so nice 
to see a story approached in this different way that my society would not do. So I'm gonna give anime a little do today. And in particular, I wanna talk about a cartoon called Your Name. I don't remember the Japanese title, but that's the English title, Your Name. It came out a few years ago and it's super famous. It is one of the highest grossing anime of all time. I think technically, I mean, it is the highest grossing, but with inflation and stuff, it might not be quite the top, but it's real close to the top. It was really successful, super famous. There's a good chance you've heard of it or seen it, but I didn't, I don't know. I never fucking heard of the thing at all. I just stumbled across it somewhere and it had a really cool, like it's just nice to see traditional animation again because uh, in North America, we're all about 3D now. So I'm like, ah, oh, a nice big budget, super well animated cartoon. This is cool. And then I saw that it's this like enormous success, not just in Japan, but it did great all over. And I'm like, well, fuck, all right then, let's check this thing out. And it was real good. So in case you haven't seen it, I'll give you the, uh, the baseline pitch and then I'll give you a spoiler warning in case you want to bail out and go watch this thing. But basically, it's, it's like a body swap story. It's a guy who lives in Tokyo and a girl who lives out in the Japanese countryside. And they start waking up in each other's bodies. But even that, it's not direct. There's like a weird dreaminess to this story. Like the girl wakes up in the guy's body and she's like, whoa, what's going on? I'm a dude and I'm in Tokyo now. And like, what the fuck's happening? But right from the get-go, there's like a, a dreamy element to it where she's not just adrift the way you would be in that situation. If you really did wake up in a stranger's body, you'd be fucked. How could you ever deal with this at all? But she's able to kind of navigate his day, you know, it's like, she figures out where his school is. She goes to his job. Like the job in particular, man, first day on a job is so hard. Realistically, there's no way she could navigate this guy's job as a server in a restaurant. It would be a total calamity, but she manages to, to get her way through it. Cause it, it kind of brings into question this idea of like, are they really swapping bodies? Is she really in his body? Or is this guy just having this weird experience where it's more like he's having a waking dream that he is her. You know, that he's this other person and she's this other person. But anyway, she spends time in his life in Tokyo and he spends time in her life out in the mountains. And through the girl's grandmother, he learns about this like thing that happens in their, in their family. It's this sort of lineage they have of this happening, of these weird dreams that they would have when they were teenagers. And it's like a dream, it just, it just dissipates. You just forget it after a while. It happened to this girl's mom, it happened to her grandmother. It's just this weird thing that they don't necessarily take seriously. They don't actually know if it's a real thing or if it's just weird dreams that you have at this time in your life. And that's the basic setup. It's just really beautiful, goddamn beautiful. Like just amazing looking, super great style. It's got one of my favorite things that I've always loved about Japanese storytelling is just establishing shots. Even those Evangelion remakes that I was shitting on, their terrible dialogue. 
My favorite thing about them are just the establishing shots, the quiet moments. And this has that all over the place. And that's just something I just love about Japanese storytelling is the, the mise-en-scene, you know, the fucking, just here is the environment, here's the place. There's this like great, like they have this love for their environment. For both sides of it is what's so great about this particular cartoon is like, here's how cool Tokyo is, here's how cool our big city is. But on the other hand, look how cool the countryside is. Look how beautiful this shit is. I mean, like, obviously I'm in the fucking woods right now next to a, a stream, <laughs> a babbling brook. I'm all about that shit. You know, I love that shit. Those little moments, just those moments of the scenery and the place that you're at. It's worth watching just for that, beyond anything else. But the storyline is really cool, and I want to talk about the ending in particular. So, I'm gonna talk about it and spoil the shit out of it. But before I do that, you know, I mean, I, I recommend that you watch it. I think it's worth watching. Although I wouldn't blame anybody for not watching and just listening through this podcast, because I tend to do that. I don't tend to, you know, people are like, oh, go watch the thing. I usually don't. <laughs> like, whatever, I don't have time for this. Just tell me what you have to tell me, and I listen to the spoiler, because I just, whatever, I don't give a shit. So if you're also that type of person, that's cool, feel free. But even if you're just, you know, forget my recommendation, if you're even just curious, just curious like, oh, that's interesting, what, what's the state of big budget cartoons? What's the cartoon that broke the box office records? What's going on in that sphere? And what's going on in the world of big budget animation that's not computer CG shit? Because that, like, doesn't exist for us anymore. If you're interested in any of those things, now's the time. Go track it down. The anime, it's like 2016. It's called Your Name. Like I said, it's super famous. It shouldn't be that hard to find. But I, I really recommend watching it subtitled. Not uh, dubbed. Because that's another thing that... I mean, that's been a big debate ever since I started watching anime in the 90s. I mean, we got a lot of fan subtitled stuff back in the day. And there was just this, this idea that like, oh, the subtitle version is always better than the dub. And you could argue that's just kind of a, uh, like, oh, I'm so fancy with my anime. I like subtitles, like some elitist bullshit. But all these years later, I still think it's true because again, it's just uh, cultural differences. You know, it's just, there is no way to take Japanese dialogue and Japanese delivery of these sentences and Japanese character types and Japanese storytelling tropes there's just no way to do it in English. It just sounds awkward. It sounds stiff. It sounds weird. It's never going to sound right. So I highly recommend the subtitled version. But okay, here's where we're going to take a quick little break. I'm going to play a one minute song. So you have one minute to think about this. Do you really want me to spoil this movie for you? You got a minute to just bail out and give up on this podcast and come back after you've watched this cartoon and if you sit through the whole minute song and you're still here and you really don't give a fuck about this cartoon being spoiled then then we'll proceed from there
upset now, but I just need some time alone. Then you'll start resenting me and the way that I feel down every That was a nice little ditty, right? That's uh, Every Now and Again by the Australian band Godstar. What a fine little tune. All right, so what I want to talk about with your name is specifically the ending because I think it just, it's very, very end. It's very last scene. It's this super cool scene that I just, I can't even imagine it happening in a North American story. It could only happen in Japan, <laughs> particularly for a big budget project. It's super crazy. So as this story progresses and the two characters keep swapping bodies, and then at one point, the connection breaks. They can't communicate anymore. You know, they've been leaving messages for each other on each other's phones. And suddenly there's nothing there. And uh, the guy tries calling the girl and there's no answer. And he's like, what? what's going on? So he goes on this pilgrimage to track down her town and he eventually figures out where it is. He draws a sketch of it and he's shown it to people. He's like, I've been to this town, I know it, but I don't know what it's called and I don't know how to get there. And when he figures out what it is, it turns out it's this town that was destroyed three years earlier because this fucking comet hit it. <laughs> this fucking piece of a meteor fell off and blew the fucking place up and like 500 people all died. So that's when it becomes clear that these people were not on the same timeline. The girl was three years before him. And that's again where the dream logic comes in. I really think this story does a great job with that dream logic stuff because like there's certain people that want to get all nitpicky about it and like how did they not notice that the dates don't line up on their phones or they went through the whole day and they never noticed the date. But it's really well established that there's like a big dream element going on here. Like after they swap bodies, like the memories of the swap start to fade really quickly, like trying to remember a dream. And when you're inside a dream, you know, like I was saying before, going to a, a weird workplace you've never been to before, you can make your way through it. You muddle your way through these bizarre situations when you're in a dream and you just, you manage a way and you don't question it. And in a dream, you're never gonna notice the year. You're never gonna notice that. <laughs> like I find it, super easy to uh, get past these little like plot holes because it's dream logic and actually I'm like a fan of dream logic I really like it when it's done well the king of dream logic to me is that movie labyrinth I love the way all the weird nonsense in that movie makes sense it just makes sense in a dream way so yeah he realizes that this girl is dead she died three years ago but somehow he was given these glimpses into her life. And he's like, now what, what do I do with this? How do I, he basically finds a way to reconvene with her. He does some spiritual shit that he learned from her grandmother. And it's where it's kind of revealed that like this, potentially, this is one reading of the story, is that this body swapping that happens in all the generations of her family was for a situation like this. If something calamitous happens to her family line, it's like this is the, the salvation plan. It's like you had this weird dream 
connection to this other person. And now maybe this other person can find a way to fix this situation, to resolve it. And yet he goes to this shrine that the grandmother taught him about and he does this thing where it, like this, this cool like thing the grandma taught him about how at twilight you can see between the veil between worlds and the guy and the girl can see each other for the first time. It's so awesome. It's just so beautiful. What a fucking cool movie. It's so good. And basically he's able to, to tell her like what is going to happen. He sets up things to save the town from this horrible calamity. Long story short. But then the dream thing comes in big time after that because it's like it works. The girl manages to convince her dad, who's the mayor of the town, that they need to do a, uh, you know, they just say it's a practice evacuation. We got to practice evacuating. And oh, what do you know? The whole town just happened to have been evacuated when the meteorite hit and everybody lived. And it's this super bizarre story and everyone's like, what the fuck happened? What are the chances of that? That is weird. But it's just a bizarre story. It's like, man, can you believe what happened to that town? And to make it double weird, how weird that nobody died. That's like the luckiest town of all time. But now that that job is done and that, that disaster was averted, it just becomes like a dream. Like they just, the dream drifts away and they just forget. They forget that they had this connection. They forget that they ever knew each other. And then it's like eight years later and they just, both characters have this weird lingering emptiness in them. There's something that's missing, something that's lacking. Like a dream that you just barely remember, you know? It's like they just know there's something. There's something they forgot or there's something they're, su they're supposed to know that they don't know anymore. And the girl, because her town obviously got destroyed and she always wanted to live in Tokyo, so she has moved to Tokyo. The guy's in Tokyo. And right at the end of the story, at the end of the movie, they're both on separate subway cars and just through the window, they see each other. And I've had that moment so many times where like the trains line up next to each other and you look through the window and just for that moment you see someone else. And it is a really interesting, like unique little like moment in time. Cause you just have that little moment, but it's, it's even different from just catching someone's eye when you're face to face because you're separated by trains. And it's like, it's safe to just look at each other and to just have that little moment where you both just see each other. But when that happens in real life, it's just a stranger. It's just a person that you'll never see again. But in their case, it's like, boom, cataclysmic. It's like lightning, like what the fuck? Like they feel it right away. They're like, that's the thing. That's the person, that's the thing I forgot. I don't know how and I don't know why, I don't know what it means. I just know that seeing that person, that weird emptiness in me, that thing that was lacking, just boom, it all flares back to life. And they both get off the train at the next stop and they're running around and they're like frantically looking for each other. And this right at the end, this is really what I'm getting to is, this is where in any North American story, I mean, it'd be weird for us to get to this point anyway. The very notion of basing the whole story around what a dream feels like and just this 
this feeling of like existential lacking of loss of loneliness in a story written by a North American like they're running around outside the station they're trying to find each other it's like 100% guaranteed that they would see each other and they would run toward each other and they would have the big embrace they would have the big Hollywood moment they would have the big release of the tension it like didn't even cross my mind that that wouldn't happen because from my cultural milieu, you know, from my cultural assumptions, that's what would happen. That is just absolutely what we would do. That's how we would end that story. The big cathartic boom. And I thought it was so cool and so impressive that that's not what happens in this anime. Instead, they see each other through the trains, they have the big moment, they know, like they know 100% something is going on here. There's some kind of connection. This person is important, I have to go talk to this person. They both get off the train, they're both frantically looking around for each other. But then, when they see each other, what impresses me so much about what happens is, is let me sidetrack real quickly into, like the, the quickest way I think for a story to go wrong and to feel bland and to feel cliched is to... Fuck, I'm not killing myself here with these fucking branches. Is what you want to do to make a story great is make sure each moment is as legitimate feeling as possible. You know, like you try to put yourself in that moment and you try to imagine what would those people do? How would they feel? What would that situation be like? And the easiest way for something to just be bland bullshit is instead of basing it on a real experience or a real feeling, is just to base it on a previous story, you know? That happens all the time where it's like, characters just behave in the way that previous characters had behaved in other stories. And it happens again and again and again until it's a trope and people don't question it anymore. But it's never gonna hit you deep down in your soul, you know? It's just gonna feel bland, it's gonna feel lame. Like for instance, the big Hollywood embrace. I mean, it's the perfect example of just something that doesn't happen in real life. It just happens in stories, but it's happened so many times in so many stories that you're just like, yeah, that's a thing that happens. Let's just put that in the story. Everyone is familiar with that, everyone's aware of it, everyone knows about that, but it's not a real experience. It's not a real thing, it's just a story thing. It's just a worn-out, boring story trope. So these characters don't do that. Instead, they're looking at each other. They've done it. They've reconnected after all these years. This weird metaphysical connection that they are sure exists between them is hanging in the air between them. But the reality of the situation is that this is a stranger. They don't really know this person they don't really have a reason for this feeling. It's not something that can be explained. And the realities of social convention snap back into place. Where all they do is they walk past each other. 
They just calmly walk past each other and pretend nothing weird is happening because that's what you would really do. Like that blew my mind, that's so awesome that the person who wrote this thing had, I was gonna say foresight, but not foresight, just the sight. The ability to recognize that that's what would happen in that situation. That's how you would really feel is it doesn't matter how much dreamy stuff is in your mind and how much tumultuous shit is happening inside you. Social reality is stronger than that, is way stronger than that. And it would be so embarrassing to act out on these weird feelings you're having when what if the other person doesn't feel them? What if the other person doesn't know what you're talking about? It's too embarrassing to do so they don't do it <laughs> and I was like this is fucking crazy like this would only happen in something not written by a North American and who knows like in Japan maybe it's not even weird to them maybe that makes total sense to them it definitely makes more sense to them you know like I think it's probably still a kind of nice little clever story beat that not everybody would do but it's like the opposite of melodrama. It's like, let's take out all the melodrama. Let's strip it right down to the bone of how this would really be. And it's like, even though we've just spent years watching these people build up to this moment, it's not enough for the Hollywood embrace. The Hollywood embrace doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. It's not real. What's real is I can't act on this. I can't say it out loud. It's too weird. I'm too afraid of breaking social convention, so I'm not gonna do it. And instead of the big bombastic finale, it's so low key. They literally walk past each other before one of them stops and turns around and says like, hey, don't I know you from somewhere? And the other person is like, yeah, I feel like I know you. I feel like that too. It's so good. It is so beautiful. Oh my God, just talking about it. It's fucking perfect. And then the last line of the movie is them both asking at the same time, what's your name? Because all they have is these, these dream memories, these long, long ago memories of like being in, in a dream of each other's lives. It's fucking awesome. It's so fucking good. And I love that so much because, like, that's, I, that's what I like. I like, even though my stupid book is called Explode and it's about blowing up a space station, it takes a long time to get to that point. What it's really about is little moments, just little tiny moments in life. And that's always what I like the best and that's always what I prefer in stories. And I like subtlety. Like, as soon as a story gets too bombastic. I just check out. I just bail out. I'm like, I just don't care. And that's how every North American story is. Every fucking one. Every movie. Every TV show. Every book. And that's why I don't like other people's writing advice. Because it's always like, uh, the three-act structure shit and add in some conflict. And it's just fucking terrible. I fucking hate it. Like, you're just teaching people how to suck. You're just teaching people how to make something that feels fake, that feels like a copy of a copy of a copy 
instead of an actual idiosyncratic realistic moment. And it's so awesome to just jump tracks, you know, to just like, fuck North America, fuck it. I don't care about you people. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you think is good. I don't care what kind of stories you guys tell. You can go fuck yourselves. I don't like it. I've never liked it. I never will like it. And it's so cool that you can just jump tracks to a different culture. And yeah, most of the time it doesn't work for me. Most of the time I also don't give much of a fuck about this other culture. But sometimes they can do these things that we can't do. We just can't do it. We don't have it in us. <laughs> we don't have the ability. We don't have any stories like that. We just don't. Not in the current age, anyway. I feel like all our stories are junk food. All our stories are fucking, <laughs> it's like flavor-blasted Doritos, you know? It's like, that's all we got. That's all we've got. That's all that's in us. That's all we have to say. And I don't want to hear it. I don't care. And it just kind of also reinforces the idea that, like, I'm not going to change my shit. I'm not going to do it, you know? Like, if I finish this book and people say, oh, it's too slow, it's too boring, we got to tighten this up, we got to move things along quicker, we got to add in some extra conflict, we got to blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do any of it. I would rather never put the thing out ever because because there's people in the world and places in the world and cultures in the world that want something else. They want something different. And to just North Americanize a story, I'm not gonna do it. I would rather not do it at all. You know, I would rather just be a big ass failure. No one ever fucking published anything this guy wrote. And just hope somebody finds it after I'm dead, <laughs> you know? I'm just not gonna do it. Like it just really reinforces that idea that I'm not wrong. The people that say, oh, there's got to be more conflict. Oh, things have got to move along quicker. Oh, these little moments are too little. No one's going to pick up on this. They're wrong. They're all wrong. <laughs> you know, they all are raised in this shit system. This shit literary culture that just sucks. That just fucking sucks. The stuff we think is good fucking sucks. Our best TV shows fucking suck. Our best movies fucking suck. Our best books fucking suck. It all sucks. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I know this just sounds like I'm being a crazy Japanophile. I mean, like I said before, they most of the Japanese shit, when it sucks, it sucks double. It really sucks. But, but there's something else there. Like, I don't know, I guess, I guess the, the, the message to myself it's just to keep looking, you know? It's like, Japan is my, the easiest access I have to a different culture because I grew up with video games and toys and cartoons that are all from Japan. But who knows what else is out there, what other cultures have to offer, or different times in the past or something. I know for sure I don't like what we have now. I don't like it. North American ideas of what a story is for and what it's supposed to do. I don't like it. I don't want to have, I don't, I just, I don't know. How many times can I say it? It fucking sucks. But there's other stuff out there. There's other types of people out there. And I guess, yeah, that's, I'll just end with that.
If you feel like you have an idea of what a story should be and how it should be told and the tone it should have and the feeling it should have and nobody else agrees, not anyone agrees, you're still right. Fuck them. Fuck all of them. Do not capitulate to that shit. Do your thing. And if nobody likes it, then so be it. Maybe somebody a hundred years from now will like it. It's more important to do your thing. Because if you just do what everyone else is doing, man, let someone else do that. <laughs> you know, they got it covered. All right, I'm gonna play a song because I also, I started making a music video. Sometimes just as like a little editing exercise, I like to make music videos. So because there's all these beautiful shots in this movie of just the beautiful countryside, I started just clipping them out, like just all the cool little interstitial shots from that movie. And I'm gonna make a little music video out of them. And I'm gonna set it to this song. It's called Sugar Hiccup. It's a song from the 80s by the Cocteau Twins, but this is a cover by the band Courage, My Love. And that's the song I'm gonna use for the video. And it's a real nice little ditty. Once again, I said it was going to be short. It wasn't. It wasn't short. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.